There are things that happen in life that are circumstantial. There are things that happen in life that are developmental. Because you grew up here and that happened there, you developed this as a defense mechanism and it worked to some degree and it got reiterated over time, blah, blah, blah. But the stuff in your fingerprints are pre-causal in the standard use of the word cause and effect. They are pre-causal. There's no defect on your part. You didn't do something wrong to have this going on. And the problems that this part of you creates, the life lesson is what I'm talking about, the problems that this part of you initiates are the problems that if you pay attention will lead you right to your life purpose. They're not in your way. They're part of the training program you need to be the person who's going to do your life purpose. They're not to be gotten rid of. They're to be integrated. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of As Woo Woo As You Want with, with Celine and Jeremiah. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Hello. Glad to have you back here with us. Um, hope everyone is having a wonderful spring. Um, yeah, spring summer vibes. It's been a minute. Uh, things have heated up here in New York, and it's been pretty great. Yep. Um, yep. And yes, we hope you're all happy and healthy and safe. And, um, Celine, you want to add anything? Um, no, we have a really rad episode today and, you know, we hope you enjoy it. Yes. So without further ado, we are going to introduce you to our next, uh, guest, the one and only Richard Unger. So we're going to take it away now to our conversation. Boom. So, uh, welcome everyone. We're super excited to have, um, a new guest today. Um, this is someone who we, uh, were connected with. If you listen to our episode with Jenna Griffiths about hand analysis, she had mentioned this person. This is a person who Jenna had mentioned was her teacher and who brought her into the world of hand analysis. So we are absolutely honored to have the one and only Richard Unger. Please correct me if I'm pronouncing that last name right. <laughs> no, no, you got it just right. Okay. The one and only. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, as I just mentioned, uh, a bunch of our listeners have probably heard, you know, Jenna describe, um, you know, the, the methodology of hand analysis that um, you uh, have developed um, over a number of decades now. But uh, we'd love to get more depth from you. And um, to start us off, though, I'd be very curious to hear just a little bit about your path, how you got into hand analysis. Okay, let's see. So uh, I've been doing hand reading for 51 years now. If I say that quickly, it just goes like that really quick. So (laughs) um, um, in in brief, uh, I had just finished uh, military service uh, it was the late 60s. 
um, I decided to do a, a trip around North America. I had never been out of New York City except for my military service, and uh, I needed to clear my head. Um, and I was uh, traipsing across North America in the summer of 1969. So I lived near Woodstock, and everybody went there, and I went west. <laughs> and um, uh, I had uh, a variety of adventures. I don't know. Had I been so adventurous, had I not felt so confined by the prior period of my life, and you know, I was breathing free and uh, exploring the world. And I was in the West. I was in Boulder, Colorado. I picked up a, a palmistry book. I went into a bookstore near uh, a local college uh, to get a book about the Old West, um, sheriffs, outlaws, things of that sort. And... Uh, a $1.50 palmistry book caught my attention for some reason. And uh, I opened it up to a random page, and there was a line that looked just like my own hand. And it said, uh, people with this need a mission in life. And I figured, oh, you could say that about anybody. But it was $1.50. That fit my budget of the times. And uh, I bought the book. And within two days, I was completely hooked on hands. Wow. So uh, I was meeting people. Uh, I was camping out north of Boulder, Colorado. It turns out that... Hundreds of people from all over the world were camping out near Boulder, Colorado that summer. And I was meeting people from, uh, from France who had been in the mountains for a couple of months. I was meeting people uh, from all parts of the United States. And I had my little palmistry book. And, you know, uh, I said, hey, you mind if I look at your hands? And everybody wanted to meet, you know, who, who doesn't want to look at their hands? And the few things I could figure it out seemed surprisingly accurate. Uh, but that wasn't the big deal. I'm looking backwards now. You know, I, uh, looking forwards, I went to said this. But what happened is I got into extremely meaningful conversations with people from all over the world. I would just say mm -hmm. one thing about their hands and they would, they would open up and I'd ask them a thing or two about their life. And, you know, we'd be sitting at my campfire for the next two hours. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, what I didn't realize at the time was that a whole section of me opened up, a part of me that was directly connected to my life purpose. I didn't know that at the time. I wouldn't have been able to put it into words either. But by the time I got back to college that fall to resume uh, being a college student, I just got every, every book out of every library. I dutifully cut classes to read hands in the snack bar, not realizing I was preparing for my future occupation. So... Um, I just read hands. I just read hands. Um, I got hired, and considering how low my income was, I got paid to teach palmistry courses at the state university of the, at, uh, with the state budget. I was wow. teaching palmistry courses at the State University of New York at Binghamton. Oh, uh, wow. Um, uh, as part of the off-campus uh, tutorial program. And um, I made a little workbook. Uh, I had a bunch of students. And I was having fun. Uh, I was just having fun. And the more I did it, I started bit by bit by bit, oh so very slowly, to piece together little bits of the palmistry database. I mean, I was reading palmistry books, but they all disagreed with each other. Most of them were from over 100 years ago. They were outdated. They were misogynistic. Even the ones who were trying not to be misogynistic were only half as misogynistic as everybody else. And hmm. a lot of things were just blatantly wrong. But there were some things that were true. 
And it was like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, just a piece or two at a time. But I loved it. And uh, not only did I love the conversations I was having with people, the, the detective in me, the, the crossword puzzle figure outer code breaker part of my personality enjoyed figuring things out and then getting just a little bit more knowledge into hands. At the same time, I was a lit major in college. So I'm reading all the lit classics and you've got uh, people's life stories. You've got biographies, you've got psychodrama biographies where the protagonist either knows what they're doing, doesn't know what they're doing, but there's a story there that is presaged by early events and you could see how it all fits together by the time you come to the end. There's question marks, but there's, there's a clear story. Hmm. And I was easily seeing the parallel with hmm. the, you know, the life stories of people I was reading for. And just as one example, so there's a line in the hand, it's the Saturn line, it goes up the middle of the hand if a person has one. And uh, the more that line is deep, clear, strong, and obstructed, the more likely the person is to be a straight arrow in life. Their homework assignments are turned in on time. Uh, they cut classes less, uh, et cetera. And the people whose line just is like this, well, their life is more like this. It's more chaotic. Mm. So uh, everybody had a story. You know, the dog ate their homework, their, their, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their, their mother, their father. Somebody else was at fault when things went bad. But it wasn't hard after seeing enough hands to put together these people, you know, had, you know, Saturn lines that look like this. And, you know, how did the dogs know whose homework uh, to eat? Uh, <laughs> what I didn't know at the time was about fingerprints because nobody, no palmistry book, they, they don't talk about fingerprints. Uh, the only talk about fingerprints is a system that was developed in the 1920s by a, a famous British hand reader who seems to get a free ride because you know, no palmist I ever talked to actually uses fingerprints in any significant way. Hmm. But I'm out of college now, and I'm reading lots of hands, and uh, I decided to go to the 42nd Street Library in New York City. I grew up in New York City. I've been to the 42nd Street Library. If you've ever been there, it takes up a whole city block in New oh, York. Yeah. It's gigantic. Yeah. It's like a cathedral. It's and, great. That's beautiful. Uh, it yeah. took me a few hours to figure out how to get around and to look in the card catalogs. In those days, no computers. Everything is in these wooden boxes that pull out of drawers that look like apothecaries from ancient China or something. And so I'm going through the, um, you know, almost every book, at least every book that's available in the United States in English is in the 42nd Street Library. So bit by bit, I'm, I'm there for 10 days from... You know, they open and then they kick me out of closing. And so I'm reading every last word on the uh, subject. And I'm starting to get a connection to my fraternity. I didn't know it was my fraternity yet, but I'm seeing a connection. I feel like I'm, I'm part of a fraternity filled with, you know, factions and arguments and people who don't get along and people who stole from each other and lied about each other and ruined their reputations and uh, plagiarized their work, et cetera, like this. But I'm having a grand old time. I'm taking notes like I was taught in college. And Okay. So now it's uh, some years later. Thank you for asking about my life story. So now it's a few years later. <laughs> I'm living in Houston, Texas. Don't ask. I'm living in Houston, Texas. I'm working as a financial planner. So I have over 100 clients. I'm doing their retirement plans. I have a suit and tie now. I have an office. I have a secretary. 
Um, I'm still reading cans, though. Uh, mm. I, I, I teach at uh, a community college. I, you know, I do lectures on the local TV uh, show that nobody watches. And um, so I have to be careful uh, to know which briefcase I'm taking with me when I go out. I don't want to show right. up with my hand printing equipment at a financial planning interview or something. Okay, but fine. I have a family of five to support. I have a business career. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I read hands, and more and more I enjoy reading hands. I had to start charging for readings because it's inappropriate not to charge after a certain stage of your development. But, but I have a family of five to support. And, you know, I have, a, I have a career. But my career is plateauing. I'm six years into this, and that's actually a long time in that business. Most people fail out in the first year. And, you know, I'm decently good, and, you know, I'm enjoying most of my clients, the ones who aren't jerks. I'm enjoying uh, being with them. And, um, you know, it turns out I'm the life coach for a third of them or so. I become their rabbi. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ostensibly doing their financial planning. But there's a part of me that's a life coach, a, a spiritual-based life coach anyway. So that comes out if it's given half a chance. Hmm. So I decide I'm just a few months. Uh, I'm a few months from being vested. I don't know how much you know about the business world, but if I stayed on for six more months, I'd still be, this is now 40 years ago, I'd still be collecting checks from my financial plan planning career now had I stayed a few months longer, but I quit. Yeah. I quit to do this full time. Huh. What? What? <laughs> uh, yes. I, uh, you know, my heart wasn't in it. I was showing up for work. I was doing what I had to do, but my heart wasn't in it, and, and, and my heart wasn't in it. So I quit, and, you know, uh, my friend said, great, you're going for your dreams, and, yeah, but they weren't going to pay my rent. <laughs> my, my father was going, are you crazy? Uh, you know, we love you, son, but are you crazy? Okay. So it's a couple of months later. I'm not making any money. Um, I've got nothing on the books uh, for future readings because it's December. It's Houston, Texas. Everybody is Christmased out. Everybody is repainting their house because the in-laws are coming over. Um, it's Christmas. It's Texas. You know, I can't do any business. So I decide to go to the medical libraries. I'm recreating my New York library experience. And I go to the Jesse Jones Medical Library. And Houston is one of the medical centers of the world. I don't know if you know this. Hmm. If you're dying of a strange disease, you can easily be flying into Houston next week for examination. Hmm. Uh, Dallas, the same. Uh, you know, you think of Texas, maybe you don't think of the medical center, but uh, yes. And anyway, it takes me a day and a half to learn my way around the medical library. It took me, it took me longer. And um, they don't use the same language that palmistry books do. At this point, I've read every single word ever printed in English on palmistry. Uh, there's maybe six people on the planet who've done that. I'm one of the six. And uh, in, in the medical stacks, uh, the heart line is not the heart line. It's the, you know, the, the distal transverse crease. Uh, the Mount of Venus is the, um, uh, is it, you know, the thinner eminence. You know. They have a mm. different language. Okay, mm -hmm. so it takes me a, a day or so to learn my way around. And then I'm a kid in a candy store. There's thousands of articles. There's books. 
palm, uh, they don't call it palmistry, it's dermatoglyphic skin carvings, dermato skin glyphics carvings. Thousands of articles, um, uh, retardation, as they called it, um, autism, um, schizophrenia, uh, hyperactive boys in a clinic in uh, New Delhi. Um, thousands of articles. Population groups have been studied. Uh, they figured out uh, that the population of the uh, Pacific Islanders had to have emigrated from Asia, not South America because of the fingerprint correlations. Uh, stuff like this, genetic journals up to here. So I'm, I'm reading all this stuff and I come across the standard work in the field. It took me a few days. I had to get it from loan from Tulsa. Uh, it's called Fingerprint Palms and Souls, S-O-L-E-S. Now I'm doing Fingerprint Palms and Souls, S-O-U-L-S. But the <laughs> right. book is Fingerprint Palms and Souls from 1943, Dr. Cummins. And what Dr. Cummins writes, he's the preeminent researcher in this field. What he writes is that as the fingerprints form in utero, you know, uh, six months plus before uh, term, uh, the fingerprints form a topographic map of the developing fetal hand. Huh, I see, a topographic map. So uh, Cummins just walks right away from that, but I'm going, holy cow. A topographic map, half of palmistry is comparative topography. If something in your hand is big, you have lots of whatever that represents. People with a strong index finger, if the index finger is bigger than usual, people have more of this trait that I'm demonstrating with my gestures. Mm -hmm. This is the Jupiter or Zeus finger, and people with a big Jupiter finger have lots of Jupiter or Zeusness. Whether they express it appropriately or not is a different question. Right. But I'm reading in the medical stacks that there's a map from prior to birth that has not changed, telling me how much Zeus went into the, and which type went into the original stew pot. What? No palmist has ever read this before? No palmist has read the standard work in the field from the medical profession? No. No palmist had ever read that before. So I'm the first hand reader to read that. Go figure. Okay. So I thought, well, this could be useful. Because I don't know if you know this, but the lines in a person's hands keep changing. The size and shape of your hand changes over time. Is your body the same size and shape as 20 years ago? No. no. You're still recognizable as you in your old photos, but you look different. The fingerprints look exactly the same. The next paragraph by Cummins blows me out of the water. Each fingerprint has between 50 and 100 lines, he writes. Sounds right, I never counted. Each line of each fingerprint has its own signature. So you've got stops and starts, forks to the line, little bubbles in the line. This is what the FBI looks at when they compare your fingerprint to the murder weapon. Mm -hmm. So one line of one fingerprint might be enough to clear you. Or right. maybe you did it, for all I know. But then again, this same type of patterning shows up elsewhere in nature, says Dr. Cummins. At the beach, when the water recedes, there's ripples in the sand. Those ripples have stops and starts, forks, splits, the same, the same seven things that fingerprint lines have. On a sand dune, think of a sand dune. It's not uniformly smooth. It has ripples in it with stops and starts, forks and splits, like the other phenomena that I'm telling you about. And there's a, a list of others in the literature as well. A chemical suspension. You have liquid chemicals in it. It's slowly settling to the bottom. Electricity goes through. And when it settles to the bottom, you have a pattern of parallel lines. 
with stops and starts, forks and splits, and different electrical currents will leave a different signature at the bottom of the beaker. So I'm getting the same feeling now telling you this. I'm reading that, I'm looking at the picture in Cummins, and an electric current goes through my body. Hmm. I am shockingly alert, super hmm. clean, clear, alive, alert. My whole body is like a technicolor dream waking me up in the middle of the night. I'm sitting like this. A wave energy imprint, I'm feeling it now, just the, the, the ripple of it 40 whatever years later. Wow. A wave energy imprint has left a topographic map imprint behind. And you can tell the nature of the wave by the imprint left behind. So I'm thinking, this is my corporeal existence being imprinted by a high frequency wave energy that scientists don't have a name for yet, but I have no trouble calling it a soul imprint. Wow. A soul imprint that if it matches standard palmistry rules of topography, comparative topography, will be readable. I go out of the medical library, try it out of myself, my family, everybody else I can find, and it works. Right. I've got a soul imprint that hasn't altered from prior to birth. Not a map of your strengths and weaknesses. That's your hand shape and lines. Not a map that tells me your uh, developmental wiring and whatever errors have occurred or whatever development has occurred. That's the lines in your palm but a map of your soul's contract for this lifetime. Again, not a map of whether you're happy or not, because your fingerprints are exactly the same as they were when you were two and a half inches tall, five months yet to get born. This is a map that tells me where your highest fulfillment from a soul level can be found. Live that way and you feel on purpose. Can you still get hit by a truck? Sure, but at least you are on purpose. You were living your right life when that truck hit you. And what else can a person do? Hmm. So, um, I've told you at least some of my story. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how you wrote, that's Life Prints, the book you wrote. That's, yeah, Life Prints is all about fingerprints. Yep. I wrote a thousand pages, submitted 500 as the manuscript, got 275 printed. Right, right, right. I am just now reading the proof of my next book. Oh, uh, my next book is fingerprints, lines and handshape, because to get a full picture of what you're doing, you can't just look at the fingerprints. You need right. the handshape and lines because people with different personalities have the same life purpose. Let's right. say you're in an inspire the mm. public life purpose. Let's just say that's your life purpose. Sure. And let's say you're inspiring the public. That's very good. But what if you're tall or short? What if you're eloquent? What if you're a carpenter type and you're not eloquent at all? Uh, how are you going to inspire the masses with this personality type, with these skill sets, without those skill sets? It becomes a very different story when you could take all the parts into consideration. That book, I didn't write then. I've taken the last <sighs> gazillion hours writing this one. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, you know, I'm studying with Jenna now. And oh, you we're are? just yeah, and we're oh, just cool. getting into the prints. And it's uh, mind blowing, you know? And um I I mean, do you feel almost like it's the psychology of the future? Could you would you dare say that or I'll say it slightly like... differently. Okay. But, well I dare I'll dare agree first and then I'll okay. say it slightly differently. 
So uh, I consider this soul psychology. The, the fingerprints uh, represent a part of human psychology that is not on the current radar mm -hmm. of, uh, well, you won't find it in textbooks in standard psychology, of which I've read a gazillion as well. Um, one of the reasons that it's not part of standard psychology is because uh, it's too subjective. Um, it all takes place within a human, one human's consciousness. Of course, so does the id, the ego, the super, blah, 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 all those other things. But it's harder to measure. And it's been relegated to the realm of religion. Religion talks about those things. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to go there because you're a scientist. That's religion. Okay. Well, okay. That's quaint if you want to talk that way. And I, I think I'm being generous by calling it quaint. Yeah. yeah. Um, people believe what? You believe this and that's okay. You could be a respected member of society and somebody else believes it's that and they're not respectable because what? Okay. That's quaint again. Right. But nonetheless, um, uh, the fingerprints offer a objective, measurable aspect of a human being that has to do with their sense of meaning and happiness in life. What Viktor Frankl, who is an absolute genius, if you've read any of his books, no. what Viktor Frankl calls the ultimate human motivator, the search for meaning. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I will say that um, uh, therapists, counselors, psychiatrists, at least on the West Coast of the United States, not you know, slower on the East Coast and maybe some other places, more and more, they're opening their eyes to the importance of the search for meaning. So mm -hmm. I've talked to a gazillion therapists, counselors, uh, healers of different sort. I've co-sponsored workshops with them. Uh, I've read for their clients. Um, uh, to me, the search for meaning is absolutely central and crucial. What else is there? I'm not saying that if somebody's an alcoholic, changing their behavior so they don't beat their spouse anymore is a bad thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Thank you for doing that work, a psychologist A, psychologist B. But now that they're not drinking, what's their life about? Uh, what, you know, what was the ache? What's the primal ache on the inside, what's the hunger? Mm -hmm. um, that's outside my purview. And the same thing with coaches. Coaches often work with people and they say, well, what do you wanna get better at? What do you wanna learn here? I'll help you, I'll be your coach. But coaches have been taught, a lot of coaches, not all, that you're not directive. You ask the people where they're going and you help them get there. Hand reading is directive. I mean, person A is in the wrong occupation. It doesn't match their life purpose at all. They don't belong where they are. No wonder they're miserable. No wonder their goldfish is unhappy. Mm -hmm. their, their goldfish is not getting any happier if they do a better job of being where they don't want to be to begin with. And since they don't want to leave because it would bother their mommy or their daddy, even though their mommy and daddy have been dead 20 years, well, uh, coaching isn't going to help them by being a better version of that self. They're not in their right life. Mm. Right. Hand reading brings a as you have known by now, hand reading brings a person to their right life. To get to their right life, they have to be real. Right. You have to be real to live in your right life. And one of the things I learned a million years ago in financial planning is how many people, I was shocked at this. I mean, I'm a 20-something-year-old guy 
uh, dressed up in a suit and tie and I'm interviewing CEOs and I'm interviewing heads of you know, the Rice University. Uh, I'm talking to people who have houses, uh, you know, that, you know, they're mansion houses with some Bentley parked in the front and uh, they have all the accoutrements of pillars of society. And they're, well, some of them are cool people who are very real and uh, I'm impressed, but two thirds are not real at all. Everything in their life is a facade. And, you know, I don't even know this hand analysis stuff yet, but I could smell that stuff a mile away. And my boss is teaching me, you can't succeed in business if you're not real. You have to be real. You have to be real with people. You have to bring out their real self or you can't talk to them and make your sales to them. They can't be your clients because you won't know what they're going to do next. You have to be real. Have to be real sounds easy. But I had a couple of genius sales trainers who worked with me daily for my years in that field. And it was only with their help that I learned. I had to learn how to be real. Because hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. ways I wasn't real weren't obvious to me, but were really obvious to my genius sales trainer, you know, um, uh, uh, mentors from, you know, uh, from the, the caves of Tibet uh, in three-piece suits who were, for some reason, taking an interest in me and mentoring me daily. And, you know, pff, pff, that's not real. Uh, no right. wonder he didn't want to be with you. You, your, your presence evaporated. What are you talking about? And sure enough, you know, my insecurities took over and I tried to direct things from a, a phony place in me. And as soon as I did that, I wasn't real. The whole thing went south. And try again, Richard, until you can become real for an entire hour. Um, that was, I'm so glad to have had my mentors back in my three-piece suit days who helped me learn something about being real. Yeah. Would you say, um, I, I mean, if, if let us know if we're diving too, too much into like your personal life or like psychology, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious though, the irony of, of going through that experience and then from that experience, getting to that real place and then being like, okay, and now I can jettison this profession. Like the profession almost served you in that respect and now you're ready to move on to your purpose okay here's here's a here's something that here's a word i just love to say any day i could say the word asymptotic i feel happy do you know the phrase you know the word yeah no. so that's so asy asymptotic it's a phrase from mathematics you can approach but never arrive. So if you start with 100 and cut the number in half, you get to 50, cut 50 and half, 25. You never get to zero because you keep, there's always an, an amount left over. So if I'm real, I'm asymptotically real. I'm moving in the direction. It's, a de- it's not the destination to arrive at, it's a journey towards. You know, and each day is another journey towards. But, you know, so who arrives there? Hmm. But yes, as I look back, at my life, including uh, owning a restaurant while I was still in college, including driving a taxi in New York City, including everything that I have been through. It all fits in my story. I took, you know, pieces of each, you know, mentors in each place are absolutely crucial. Could I be me without every single one of them? Hmm. So are you old enough to remember Gilda Radner? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
we know Gilda Radner. We were I don't think either of us were born during Gilda Radner's time. But we know but who she we is. We know who she is. So she's dying of cancer. She knows she's dying of cancer. She has months left to live and she's young. Oh my God, I, I forget how old she is when she dies, but way too young. Ah, the, the world uh, could have used another <laughs> several decades of Gilda. But in any event, she's looking back over her life. She says, I wouldn't give up one day of it, every single thing. I could see now how my whole story led me inextricably towards here, mm. where I am today. And the more real a person becomes, the more their life purpose emerges. Your life purpose is seeking to emerge. You have an exalted destiny already in your fingerprints before you're born. If you're one day old, I could have told your mommy and daddy what your exalted destiny possibility is. I don't know the details, but that's where you're going. If you can get there, if you allow your story, if you open the door when you hear the knock on the door, which is not the easiest thing in the world. Looking backwards, you could see how everything led you in that direction. Right. But if you had gone this way, everything would have led you in that direction. Because if you're paying attention, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do, if you're paying attention, if Beethoven is paying attention, music is trying to find him. Right. Music is after right. Beethoven. Right. He doesn't realize it, but when he drives his bus in Vienna, he's whistling while he's driving the bus as the windshield wipers go like this. Everybody's saying, Beethoven, you and music. But he has a family of five to support. What is he going to do? He needs the health insurance, blah, blah, blah. His life purpose, his exalted destiny is there, and it's infinitely close at every nanosecond. Hmm. But he has to pay attention and through an act of personal will open that door. And not only that, now it's Tuesday. He has to do it all over again. Or feel his life purpose moving in the other direction and getting closer and closer to living in his life purpose inverse, the exact opposite, which is also spelled out in the fingerprints before a person is born. I could tell mommy and daddy what your worst life looks like, what your best life looks like the first day of your life. What I don't know at all is how far you're moving in either direction. Because, you know, you win the lottery, you lose the lottery, 10 marriages, no whatever, your fingerprints stay exactly the same. Right. So people tell me, well, you know, I've done so much meditation and I'm, I'm into this, I'm into that. I've learned this, I've learned that. I could just think and change my fingerprints, they tell me. Oh, really? You know, that's how advanced I am. Because I can change my destiny as I please. I'm the master of my ship and stuff like this. Well, thank you very much for sharing. But, you know, that's bupkis. You can't do that. You can't change your fingerprints. Anybody who's watched TV knows you can't change your fingerprints. And from my perspective, in our soul's wisdom, we can't change our fingerprints because we would just change our fingerprints. If, if we just used our personality, our ego self, we would change our fingerprints to suit our convenience. And in our soul's wisdom, there, you know, there is no tattoo removal for the fingerprints. Mm. Right. Yeah. Thank goodness. But the lines change and like so that they could accommodate. Absolutely. The fingerprint. Yeah. So hand shape, hand shape changes, too. Really? No doubt you've noticed a change in Donald Trump's hand in the last two and a half years. I, ha I have not specifically looked at his hands, <laughs> but I could imagine. Well, I can your, imagine. Your, imagine might, your imagination might be correct. It might be wrong. Check his hand because, you know, he's on TV. Yeah, he's he's, he's in, a hands guy. Uh, he's showing his hands to everybody all the time. 
Um, look at his hand when he became president. Look at his hands now. The upper section of his pinky has jogged 15 degrees hmm. in the last two and a half years. 15 degrees. Do you know how many gerbils have to pull on his pinky to move at 15 <laughs> degrees while he's sleeping overnight? <laughs> Every gerbil in North America has to pull. Pull! Pull! <laughs> and then they have to leave before he wakes up. It's a lot Hands of work. change. Wow. That's a lot of gerbils. It's a lot of gerbils. Can I ask you a question, Celine? Yes. So how many hands, have you read over 100 hands, under 100 hands? Right, give me an idea under, of how far along. Under, not, I'm not very far along. Okay. I'd say 20. Oh, my word, you're in palmistry pre-kindergarten. Yeah, I'm like basically an infant. Yes, how exciting. You know, the thrill, of the thrill of discovery and all that. You know, I think the thing that I find complicated about the hands, and it's any type of thing where you're giving someone an advice or you're telling them something about themselves, it's like figuring out how to tell somebody in the most beneficial way with being honest and trying to piece the whole together. You know, that's, that's what I find so fascinating about it because it's so accurate, but, like, how do you authentically really express that to someone you know and that's something you learn over time i'm sure obviously but so that's, in india that's what i think is overwhelming a little bit yeah and it should be overwhelming thank you and as a matter of fact uh therapists if they were more honest uh i'm not saying each individual therapist this one is super honest but as a group right they should be constantly overwhelmed by that responsibility don't you think Yes, I think it's very overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed by that responsibility, and I'm 60,000 hands ahead of you on the Palmistry Trail. Yeah, so, you So know. in India, they have a tradition that you have to read 10,000 hands before you can charge for a reading. And I remember being in New York, whatever number of years ago, and I signed some hand reader's little book. He was at 9,600-something, and he was really eager to get to his 10,000th. Yeah. And it's not that you need 10,000 to learn a system of hand reading. Uh, but the tradition was that you needed 10,000 before you have the right to tell anybody anything and get paid for it. Yeah. Mm. Because that responsibility is gigantic. But on the other hand, be real, be you. Meet the other person where they are. Right. Listen right. to what they say. And I, what you know now at 20 hands is way ahead of where I was my first couple of years reading hands. Yeah, well, it's because of you. <laughs> well, I've, I figured some things out, and I have a particular way of thinking. If you read my book carefully, if you study with Jenna, you'll see that I have, you know, I have this detective-type uh, intellect that likes to figure out how come things happen the way they do, blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, you already know enough to have meaningful conversations with people. You don't yeah. have to claim to know everything. You can just no. open the door and let them tell you. And you can also ask them, would you like to hear what it sounds like on my side? Mm -hmm. And as long mm -hmm. as you start mm. a sentence like that, they're free to think you're an idiot. They're free to change their life. They're free to do something in between. Right. What else can a person do? And by the same token, if you studied every psychology book ever, if you saw one person an hour for every hours of the last 50 years as a psychiatrist, does that give you the perfect knowledge of humans? No. Humans. 
you know, it, it's, you know, it's messy. Yeah, it's messy. I wanted to ask you about these archetypal um, types that you found that you've related from mythology. And, you know, it, it has a little bit of a Jungian flavor, but the mythology aspect seems is very, very interesting. And, and how did you arrive at that destination? Or how did you? Oh, I'm incorporate... so glad to walk down memory lane with you. Thank you for asking. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, I studied every palmistry book written in English. The ones that were good, I've read 10 times. I have a simian crease, straight line across. Uh, I am fanatical uh, about things I'm interested in. Wait, so again, will you explain the, the simian crease just quickly? Because I don't know if Jeremiah knows what it means. I don't. It's I don't one line across the middle. Got it. Yeah. Uh, the people who have that, um, Robert De Niro has that. Does hmm. he uh, show a type of intense focus in all the characters he portrays? So yeah. he's a good example of simian crease intensity. The owners of that marker need a place to put that Well, they have the same energy and no place to put it and various mm. China cabinets get broken. Got but it. nonetheless, so I bring a certain type of uh, focal intensity to what I'm doing. So I, my hand shape system, basically I've adopted uh, three hand shape systems from different uh, palmistry giants through the years. And then I've mixed and matched the best parts of their systems. So what I do is not so mysterious. I mean, other hand readers around the, uh, around the world have studied Benham or Getting. So they studied Darpinier. And so they'll adopt the handprint system of one of those. So I, I just did something different. I mixed and matched the three of them together and created a, a series that is a much larger number of archetypes because I have three different systems blended together instead of just the earth, air, fire, and water of Gettings. And also with Gettings, he just used earth, air, fire, and water, which was a brilliant step forward. It simplified things enormously. Gettings hardly talked about earth plus fire, earth plus water, earth, you know, et cetera. Mm. Uh, there's a lot more archetypes that you can pull out of Gettings. And then when you blend it with the traditional system of Darpinier from the 1800s, et cetera, um, I can look at a hand shape and I've got like a hundred different archetypes that I recognize by silhouette alone, such that if I saw a handprint on a Mayan cave wall, or for that matter, a French cave wall from 38,000 years ago, where there are plenty of handprints on the cave walls, I can tell the type of person that left that handprint on the cave wall. That's wild. That's a philosopher. I that's know. a warrior. That's a wild. poet. Whether or not the poet is working in the salt mine or whatever the equivalent is, how would I know if they're a slave or they get to be poetic in their life? Because I don't know the context of their life. I just okay. know what their design is and what they would do, all things being equal, but all things aren't equal. It's a little bit like uh, World War II and they're looking at the airplanes through the binoculars and going, that's a P-52 and they know what P-52s are for. But you know, it's just from the silhouette. Hmm. But I've had a lot of practice I could do that really easily, easily, Celine. My right. students take a few hundred hands to get good at that, and you're up to 20. Right, right. The students who are fast get good at that between one and 200 hands. Right. The students who are average, it's more 250 to 500. Yeah. 
you have a ways to go Absolutely. on that learning curve. But this is hand shape. One of the great things about, oh, let me, I'll, take, I'll interrupt myself. So for 29 years, I read hands in Zurich for two months a year. And that's where I met Jenna. <laughs> and right. um, so uh, I'm out there for three weeks and I come home. I'm out there for three weeks and I come home. I stopped doing this about five years ago when for the entire three weeks, I was in jet lag for the entire three weeks. You know, mm. instead of a day, it, you know, as I got older, it just extended and it got too hard on me to go out there. But the office I had in Zurich was the window. I have an office and an apartment I use in Zurich. Out the window is Carl Jung's office. That's the Jung Center. No way. Uh, That's wild. What? Not, <laughs> not a Jung Center. The. The Jung Center. That's insane. Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> so. Of course. Carl Jung, he's dead. As I'm, I started in Zurich in 86. He's dead. But his frontline students you know his first generation of students was still alive some of which came over for readings but he's he's hovering over you know he's right over there oh my gosh so you know i'm reading at this point i'm reading every psychology book i can and the ones i don't like uh, i stop and then the ones i do like i'm following up more and more and reading as many of those as possible and there are jungian psychologists who've written palmistry books i like their approach too there's jungian psychology uh, books, uh, Jungian psychologists who've written astrology books. Palmistry and astrology share a common nomenclature, but they diverge. But some of those books, of which there's tons more than palmistry books, some of those books, especially the ones written by Jungian analysts, have direct overlap to hands. I learned a lot by reading them. I could use that information in hands. So I have that inclination in me before I knew who Jung was. Right. There he is leaning over me. So um, I like hand shape um, more and more. Uh, the, the disadvantage for new students is that you don't get good at it instantly. You, pattern recognition just takes some practice. Um, it just takes some practice. Your eye actually will not see things that later you can look at a handprint that you took a couple of years ago and I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I didn't see. That's right. You didn't see those things. Mm -hmm. As you get further, the things that you won't see are the parts of your own soul psychology that are difficult for you to look at the truth mirror about. Oh, man. Talk about. Woof, 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 those woof, woof, woof. Are, those Heavy. are the more subtle ones. But at the beginning, the things you won't see is because of pattern recognition practice that hasn't happened yet. But one of the things I love about Handshape, which I use more than most of my students, because I look at more hands than most of my students. Yeah. The, the, one of the things I love about it is how easily it is for my client of the day to recognize themselves. Mm -hmm. The hand shape archetypes, the behavioral archetypes are instantly recognizable. Uh, I can tell mythological stories. I could use Shakespearean plays. I could use recent movies. I can talk about... Uh, 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 personality archetypes in a, a story form that the person jumps into the story and sees themselves easily. And then I can talk to them about their soul psychology blind spots, their, their life lesson, because I've, I've been welcomed in. 
Mm -hmm. I'm inside the story with them. Mm -hmm. I've, um, uh, I've gained entry, I like to say. Yeah. If I'm out on the street and they won't let me in, I can't talk about anything that's challenging to the persona that they built up because they'll just kick me out. Right. But if I'm in, I'm in. And now we're pals. And in every pair of hands, I want to find, and it's not hard for me, and it, you know, I'm being real when I do this, I find what I like best about this person. Look mm -hmm. how cool it is that you're so, such a loyal type, Bob. You have this loyalty factor all the way up to here. Oh, my God. Did you help a friend of yours change a flat tire uh, and, and skip your wedding date because your pal had a flat tire and his, the wife falls off her chair laughing? Because that's exactly <laughs> what he did. What? You, I was only making that up. Yes, that's exactly what I did. Well, like I said, you have this loyalty factor. up to So I can talk to the person and climb into their story in a real well, in a real way. And I can do it such that we're, 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 we're now pals. I've, without them explaining who they are, I've been able to see who they are and talk to them. And that's the acknowledgement of being seen as true for your better attributes without having to ask for it or explain it. Yeah. Is, you know, that, that makes people fall in love. They're with Mary, they're with Bob, and all of a sudden they're seen as the person they are through a positive lens, and that person reflects it back positively. No wonder I want to be with so-and-so, you know, because yeah. they see me mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. So I'm that person for them, and I'm there in the first couple of minutes. Right, right. Yeah, that's wild. So stick, so stick with it. Oh, 100%. I just, you're here, I had to ask all these mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, the only other thing I wanted, to, children's hands, do they, oh. like, I, the finger fingertips, the fingerprints will stay, but as they age, like, at what point do they solidify into who they are? Oh, what an interesting question. So I've yeah. done who knows how many interviews through the years, and I'm rarely asked that one, and, oh. the, hand, and the hands of the elderly as well. Uh, oh. It's an interesting topic. Oh, yeah. And the elderly, the number of years on the planet that is now in my brain as elderly keeps moving this way, the older uh, I'm getting <laughs> as well. But um, so I'm writing a, a three a three book series, uh, Celine and, and Jeremiah. And the one I'm proofing now is Hand Analysis 101. 103 is going to have the hands of children and the hands of the elderly. But thank oh, you wow. for asking. Yeah. So children's hands look more or less the same until about age five. I'm using a broad brushstroke. Everyone is an individual case, and there'll be a number of them that don't match. One of the things I did in Zurich for those years, uh, I worked in two different clinics, uh, pediatric clinics, and I read the hands of kids who had physical and behavioral problems that were significant enough that I was reading their hands. And, you know, the people who had me in had been students of mine, you know, they're MDs, they're pediatricians, they're really smart about what they're doing. Um, um, and nobody knows what to do about little Freddie. And so um, I got to do this a lot uh, because of my Swiss pals, thank you very much. And uh, sometimes, uh, well, let me go back a step. So five years old, they all more or less look alike. They have earth hand, Celine. The hand is square. The fingers are short. 
uh, the thumb sticks out wide, low to the palm. Uh, mm -hmm. The lines are deeply grooved in. By the time they're 15, their hands are tall and skinny. They're irregular. There's a million lines all over the place. Or it's still squat, short, wide with small fingers. The hands differentiate somewhere between 5 and 15. And it's like a jello mold that is very loose at that time. And whole new line formations grow in or don't grow in, et cetera, like that. So there's a cookie cutter hand and any minor difference from the standard five-year-old hand, any tiny little different, large middle zones on these two fingers, um, the index curls underneath the middle finger, every little difference gets my heightened scrutiny. Mm. And uh, so um, uh, again, the, the hands change a lot and anything I'm gonna say to the parents, you know, your kids' hands can change a lot in the next couple of years. But right now, this is what I'm reading. What I found though, and of course the fingerprints are not gonna alter. Right. So a tremendous advantage for me in Switzerland is that nobody moves anywhere. Yeah. When I'm reading hands, I was often reading the hand of the child in question, the parents, the siblings of the parents, the siblings of the kid, the grandparents, and maybe some great grandparents as well, because they all live in the same town. Moving away means you moved out of the house that was built in the 1800s that your great-grandparents built, and now you live across the street or down the road. That's right. not like the U.S., mm -mm. where everybody disperses. So it was easy to get the whole family together. So I'd be reading a dozen set of handprints at once. So um, I would be at this big table. Uh, I've got all the handprints because the doctor has taken all the handprints. Here's the kid. Nice to meet you. Let me look at your hands. Oh, what a creative kid you are. Thank you for showing me your hands. I'll talk to you in a few minutes. And they all go into the other room and whatever they do. Now I'm looking at the hands. So I didn't know what I was going to find when I started doing this project. And it wasn't my idea to do this project. The people whose clinic it was, it was their idea that I do this project. Great. Hmm. What I found was, is that half the kids with problems, their hands looked like they had problems. Uh, you know, the parts didn't fit right. I mean, you wouldn't have to be a hand expert. Here's a normal hand and here's this hand. Oh, something is off. I don't know what it is, but something is off. And I would know better. But the things I was seeing were things that they had noticed also, the, the people at the clinic. But more than half the hands, 60%, maybe a little bit more, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the kids' hands. Zero. Huh. Nothing. Huh. Uh, show me 10 handprints of kids. Ask me which one's in the clinic. I have no idea. And, but, but he started behaving this way when he was three months old, six months old, nine months old. He has these physical problems. I see zero. The problem with the kids, though, the ones who are like that, the problem is their family. Right. It's like inherited. No, the family is the problem. Oh, the family's problem. Okay. The family is their problem. I right. See. Their story is at odds with the family story. Okay. So okay. to oversimplify, which wouldn't be true, but to make, it, to make a grade B movie, everybody in the family is a straight-laced banker type, and the kid is an artist uh, with wild hair and wants to have a purple stripe in their hair. Got it. Right. The, the kid is not a problem. The kid yeah. living in that family is the problem. Family. Yeah. Okay, so I made up a story to explain it. It's not usually as simple as that. Right, but that was the problem over and over again. Or in a, in, in a more likely case, mommy is behaving this way. 
because she's looking over her shoulder at her own mommy, who's looking over her shoulder at her mommy, going back who knows how many generations. And therefore, mommy thinks that her child should be this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the child isn't this. The child is something else. Yeah. The child is not wrong to be something else. And where is it mommy's business to try to make the child into something the child isn't? Right. Other than a picture that was planted in her brain by her mother, her mother, you know, etc. Right. Yeah. Now imagine this. I now have to talk to Swiss parents about their wrong parenting style. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Think about that for a second. So fortunately for me, the person who's translating my reading is their pediatrician that they've okay. known for years, who knows my system thoroughly and is a caring, connective pediatrician who's worked with the other kids and worked with the parents, et cetera, and worked with their family through the years. And right. they're motivated to help their kid. And they, the parents might have had readings with me on prior visits as well. Right. But I'm, I'm telling mommy and dad to stop doing X and start doing Z. To mm -hmm. allow the kid to be who they are, essentially. Well, right. And get out of the kid's way. Your kid yeah. is trying to be who they are. Yeah. But it's not as simple as that. I'm oversimplifying it to... I know. I understand. ...by with your question. But right. uh, what, a, what a juicy... A communications challenge that was yeah. and what a what a wonderful opportunity to alter lives yeah. so um there's a fellow whose kids i read for 35 40 years ago and he's kind and I, i'm uh, i'm in touch with him regularly and he's constantly reminding me of how i told him that um his kids were this way this way and that way and that when he tells them when he, when he criticizes them using this type of language, he's standing in their way. He says he uses that constantly throughout his life, including now. And he catches himself saying these things, and then he hears, my, he hears me sitting on his shoulder, whispering in his ear. They're yeah. not wrong to go against them. They have an innovator life purpose. Yeah. They're supposed That's to go really against the grain. That's really fascinating. So, it's so cool. <clears throat> So when they go against the grain, you, you're free to tell them that you disagree. But why not praise them for being so strong as to have a different view first and then tell them why you think you're brighter than they are or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating for me to think about. Yeah, I mean, I also brought it up too because, you know, like a lot of mental illness comes about when we're in our 20s, like early 20s, right? And so I was thinking of the correlation between hands kind of solidifying and becoming who they are. And like, also in terms of like a mental illness component, it, it coming out when we're in our early twenties. So okay. that's where the question comes. Okay. I so I don't know how much you know about hands yet. <clears throat> uh, well, uh, you just talk as if we don't because you know, Jer okay. and the rest of our audience does not <laughs> Okay. So uh, I've got the fingerprints and I'm looking at the fingerprints uh, one of the last pages I was editing today had uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson's fingerprints. Oh, cool. And uh, what is he, the 37th, whatever number president he is of the United States. And he has guilt issues in his finger. He has leader with guilt issues in his fingerprints. Of course, I'm in the military. It's the Vietnam War era, blah, blah, blah. And 
uh, I'm looking at his fingerprints. I don't know uh, how much you're up on the news, but tapes just came out of Lyndon Baines Johnson in the Oval Office, just came out this week. Uh, he was taping his conversations just like Nixon was after Nixon got in trouble for, you know, for having on tape what he was up to. No other president was taping everything. But at that time, everything was taped in the Oval Office. And uh, uh, the historian talking about the tapes he had listened to says, I'm not a psychiatrist, but whatever, um, uh, I can't diagnose but he sure sounds bipolar to me. Whatever bipolar means in vernacular, here's a guy who gets super down, who gets wild and crazy up, uh, stays up 19 hours with all these grand plans and then collapse. And now he's talking to his wife who's trying to talk him off the ledge over and over and over again. Wow. So I'm looking at the fingerprints of this man, hearing about the tapes that just came out, and He's dealing with a pre-birth guilt system that he's trying to run away from. Mm, I have to write this down. So he has karmic guilt in his fingerprints, whether that's from past lives, whether it's a genetic imprint from his ancestors, whether it's nothing. However it got there, it's there. Before he's born, he's already feeling guilty and doesn't want to register it. He's running from his guilt demon. Hmm. So... If you run from your guilt demon enough, you can have any number of crazy behaviors. You can turn off the guilt alarm completely so that you don't register any guilt. And now you're free to run roughshod over people. You're free to park in the handicapped place and not care because you don't have a guilt alarm anymore. Right. Or you can overreact to your guilt alarm and apologize for your very existence and try to dress up like your mommy or daddy and look exactly like they want you to look so you can live a life where nobody could say anything bad about you. And now you're not being you. You're being who you think they will approve of. Mm -hmm. He has this in his fingerprints. So you take, this, and this is just one example, you take one issue and then you iterate it, iterate it, iterate it, iterate it, and multiply itself over time without any corrective measures. So, yes, you see the psychiatrist and they tell you you have ABC condition, you have ADHD, you have LMNOP and they give you this pill, and they give you this remedial thing to do. From my perspective, Lyndon needs to take remedial guilt issues, life lesson training at the Earth University. He could take that with me. He's dead, of course. You could take that with me. You could take it with Jenna. Or don't take that and have the same issue. Keep multiplying itself and multiplying itself, and you become blinder and blinder to it over time mm. until you can bomb another country and say you're not doing it and lie to the press and then, you know, pretend that you're not. Right. Wow. You don't have it. You don't have guilt neurons anymore. You have rendered them inoperative. Wow. Mm -hmm. So if you have a diagnosis that doesn't diagnose what's happening, the solution won't work. If you have a flat tire and you change the battery in your car, that's not going to help you. Right. Okay. Right. If you get the right diagnosis, well, you still have to change the tire. Yeah. But it, without the right diagnosis, you don't have a cure. 
Yeah. Yes. So from my perspective, I see people constantly who come in who tell me they're this, they're that, their child is this and that, and it's been diagnosed. And it's been diagnosed by a person who has a lot more PhDs than I have. And they have a plaque on the wall that says they have society sanctioned for telling the person what they have. And I'm not even saying that they're wrong. Their symptoms match that model. Right. But, okay, but they're not dealing with what I'm seeing from prior to birth. Hmm. There's a philosophical point here. So I'm, I'm reading the hands of a psychiatrist. This is years ago, and I tell her this, this, and that. And she says, yes, it all stems back to kindergarten when Johnny pulled my pigtails and blah, blah, blah. And I go, great. You know, Johnny probably did pull your pigtails in sixth grade, and you probably did react like you're saying. But I'm seeing this in your fingerprints, which preceded kindergarten by five and a half years. She says, maybe it's the breastfeeding, because my mother this, my father that, and the dynamic this. I say, well, I'm not going to dispute the breastfeeding hypothesis, except to tell you that what I saw and described to you, I saw in your fingerprints before you were born. The psychiatrist who, you know, she was trying to get her hands around what I was saying, kept looking for earlier cause in her model. There had to be an earlier cause that she was now reacting there to. And she tried to go back to earlier time frames. But what I was seeing was in her fingerprints from five months prior to birth. And in her model, there is no cause and effect going back that far. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she was at an impasse to explain how I could see a pattern of behavior that's been running her. She admitted that was a pattern that she's been wrestling with her whole life. I mean, she's a successful psychiatrist, she, you know, but she knows that pattern. And I'm describing it from her fingerprints. Hmm. So there are things that happen in life that are circumstantial. There are things that happen in life that are developmental. Because you grew up here and that happened there, you developed this as a defense mechanism and it worked to some degree and it got reiterated over time, blah, blah, blah. But the stuff in your fingerprints are pre-causal in the standard use of the word cause and effect. They are pre-causal. There's no defect on your part. You didn't do something wrong to have this going on. And the problems that this part of you creates, the life lesson is what I'm talking about, the problems that this part of you initiates are the problems that if you pay attention will lead you right to your life purpose. They're not in your way. They're part of the training program you need to be the person who's going to do your life purpose. They're not to be gotten rid of. They're to be integrated. They're to be accepted. They're to be embraced, used as an ally. Is this part of current psychology? Not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. So do you still give readings? Like, can people find you places or? Yeah. Yeah. I do do less readings than I used to because I'm busy proofreading and I'm busy writing. (laughs) Proofreading. And analysis 101, 102, and 103. And uh, it's important for me uh, to write those books while I'm still on the planet. Yeah. Absolutely. As me. But, um, Yeah. I never want to be a person, as long as I can do readings, I will. I never want to be a person who used to do readings. And yeah. my readings inform me, and they connect me to, you know, to a, a, a center. You know, it's my spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if I'm out of sorts, if, you know, if, if 
if I'm over my edge in some direction, uh, if you get out of sorts, Celine, read more hands. All right. That, that's Done. my cure for everything. You got a problem? You got flat tires? Are you reading it? Read more hands. <laughs> your flat tires will inflate. I love that. Um, we well, we will we'll plug where like your website or like Absolutely. where people can find you. Yeah, um, or they can write me at lifeprince.com. Yes, at lifeprince.com. Okay. Richard at lifeprince.com. Cher, what do you think? What do you want to ask? Is your mind blown? I. I am a bit speechless. I mean, I, I just really was enjoying listening the whole time. Um, Richard, your experiences have really been amazing. And your life's work is, I think, a, just a beautiful contribution to human understanding. Um, and just very grateful to be able to listen to you and have you on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. um, if you ever want to come back on, please do. And Invite me again. Yeah, I'd love. We'd ask love me, it. Yeah, ask we me do a part two. And I know. Watch this way, because I, I yeah. honestly feel like we could keep going, but um, you know, I guess we have That's other things. That's enough for today. Yes. No. Enough absolutely. Absolutely. You have your proofreading and to do it. Unfortunately. You have to Invite me again. <laughs> yeah. We will. We will. Thank you so much. It was. I'm. I'm very honored to to meet you and have a chat with you. So, One of the go. things I love is when I run into students who are students of my students, or students of my wife's students. Yeah. And I am regularly contacted by people I read for 30 years ago, somebody my wife read for 25 years ago. They want me to read their kids now or something like that. I just love that. Yeah. And so, the, you know, the, the pebble falls in the pond and the ripples go out. I love that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Really right. Thank Thanks, you, Richard. Richard. Take care. Take care. Thanks again. Bye.